Hi, this is Ken Clark. I'm the minister of the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. Here's another recording of our weekly worship service at the church. These services will be available on our website and also on podcast apps such as Spotify or Anchor. This service is intended for June 28, 2020. The organist is Jean Marie Callahan and the preacher is Ken Clark. Welcome to the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. May God's peace be with you. Join me in saying the opening words responsively, which are found in our order of service. Give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. Sing praise for the beauty of the earth and the wonder of God's creation. Our first hymn is Morning Has Broken.
Join me, if you will, in saying together the opening prayer found in the order of service. God of grace and truth, in Jesus Christ you came among us as a light shining in darkness. We confess that we have not always welcomed the light or trusted good news to be good. We have closed our eyes to the glory in our midst, expecting little and hoping for less. Forgive our doubt and renew our hope so that we may receive the fullness of your grace and live in the truth of Christ the Lord. Amen. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. If we confess our faults, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Today's first lesson is taken from the Old Testament in the first book of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, a continuation as we have journeyed the last few Sundays with Abraham and Sarah. And so we continue this morning, Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Here ends the first lesson. Our hymn is Come All You Servants of the Lord.
second lesson is taken from the, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Like our earlier reading, this is a continuation of a reading begun several weeks ago, all of chapter 10 in Matthew, Jesus giving instructions to his disciples initially. And here, the section we have this morning is where the instruction turns outward from the disciples themselves and to the larger world. Jesus said, Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. Here ends the second lesson. Our second lesson in the Gospel of Matthew takes a turn for the better, one might say, this week. You will remember last week Jesus was talking about those who must go forth in his name will perhaps lose their family. They must place Christ before their family, their parents, their children, everything. Here the words change to a sense of welcome and reward. It seems in the Old Testament book of Genesis, things have not changed too much. The story of Abraham continues to recap. This is the person who left his homeland in search of a new land that God had promised, a man who for a while was in Egypt and with his wife Sarah, described Sarah as his sister, and let Sarah into the Pharaoh's harem. The Pharaoh discovers and sends Sarah back. Abraham and Sarah settle down, but Sarah was without children. And so Abraham takes a servant slave of Sarah, Hagar, and has a child, Ishmael, by Hagar. In time... Ishmael is sent away, and Sarah is given the gift of her own child. Hagar is sent away, and Abraham and Sarah are left, as this gospel begins this morning, with their child, Isaac. That is why perhaps the section we read this morning begins with a great deal of understatement. The lines, after these things, God tested Abraham. Well, If Abraham hadn't been tested so far and Sarah hadn't been tested so far and Ishmael and Hagar and even Isaac, I don't know what could be. But these introductory words foreshadow what is to come, the greatest test yet, the test of Abraham being asked to sacrifice his own son At this point, his only son, after having sent Ishmael away, his only son, this gift to Sarah in her old age. God asking Abraham to kill his son in an act of sacrifice. It's a tough text. A lot of people today will just begin with the sense of saying, well, we shouldn't condone child sacrifice, and this is a brutal thing. And that all is true, but it is a text here for us to explore and spend some time with today, which is what I'm going to do. It's always been a problematic and hard text, but it's been one that is often resolved and perhaps simply resolved by saying, well, this is a text that shows us that one must be greatly faithful to God, This is a text that shows us that in the end, as the reading says, God will provide, that faith is rewarded. It's an echo of the Gospel of Matthew today, where he talks about these rewards that are given to people who do the work of the righteous. We're reminded also of Matthew, just several lines before the ones we read this morning, even Jesus has said, that a parent 
must put Christ before their children. Perhaps if Abraham were a man of the New Testament, he would point to the words of Jesus and say, yep, that's what it says, I have to do this. Abraham comes down to us as a exemplar of faith in this sense, and perhaps it's easiest just to gloss over the enormity of what's going on, the lived reality, the existential situation, and just say, well, this is just a story that tells us that faith is an important and paramount thing, that we always must put God first, and that God in the end will take care of us. When I was starting out my ministry many years ago, I was in a town where there was a restaurant called the Ram in the Thicket. The Ram in the Thicket was a great restaurant, served gourmet food. I didn't go there too often, but it was a treat when you went there. The restaurant was run by a former Presbyterian minister, and he had discovered that he loved cooking for people creating a feast and tending bar far more than he enjoyed preaching on Sunday morning or doing any of the other things associated with the gospel. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. Whoever welcomes the one who sent me, whoever gives even a cup of cold water to these little ones in the name of a disciple, none of these will lose their reward. I'm not sure whether that minister, former minister, lost his reward or not, but he certainly gave a lot of pleasure to a lot of people who came under his roof. And of course, the ram in the thicket was his way of explaining that this is what got him off the hook, so to speak, what saved him, what God had done to provide for him. I don't know his past story. Maybe it wasn't a good one. But in this sense, the ram in the thicket was the sense that God will provide. And so God did for this fellow for several years at least that I recall. So the story has very many different elements. The resolution is one that perhaps we rush to, not willing to take the middle section as much. In the Jewish tradition, there are several different rabbinic commentaries on this, obviously very many rabbinic commentaries on this. It's interestingly enough, comes to us in the Jewish tradition as the story of the binding of Isaac. In the Christian tradition, we usually talk about the sacrifice of Isaac. And here there are two, perhaps, different emphases. The Jewish tradition brings us up to the point of sacrifice and then steers us away. The Christian interpretation, by not talking about the simple binding, the moment of sacrifice the moment before sacrifice, but by pushing us that one step further, a step that wasn't taken, suggests that the highlight of this story is that emphasis of sacrifice, the sacrifice of Isaac. Indeed, for Christians, this Old Testament story prefigures the work of Christ. Christ is the one who is sacrificed. Christ is the son who God gives, whom God sacrifices for humanity. Now, the elements of the Trinity have always been too much for my small brain to comprehend. I tend to see Christ Jesus as a son of God, and in that sense, perhaps it's easier to think of the sacrifice in that way. The mysteries of the Trinity somewhat obscure some of this, but I'll just leave it to you this morning, this warm summer morning, to see how Christians take the Old Testament story of Abraham and Isaac and the idea of sacrifice and how it prefigures or foreshadows the New Testament. Another reason to have this story in here and another reason for us who, when we think about child sacrifice, you know, the bad parts of this story, The sacrifice of a child brings us up short again in terms of uh, where we are and what our theology is. Indeed, some people look at this section and they comment and use it to make a commentary on the things 
that we do sacrifice our children to. One thing comes to mind immediately. We sacrifice children to war. We send our children to fight and die in our name. Perhaps an environmentalist might say we sacrifice the futures of all our children because of the ways we live today. You can see how, in other hands, this Old Testament passage can be used to illustrate the sense that, in some sense, although abhorrent, in some ways, metaphorically, we do sacrifice. More commentators look to the context in the Old Testament and see this as certainly a difficult and horrible text in terms of what's going on, but they say it's important because this is the point where the Bible turns from human sacrifice to the sense that that kind of behavior is not acceptable. Indeed, in the Old Testament, there are prohibitions against the sacrifice of humans in Leviticus and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. We remember, too, that sacrifices to the foreign pagan god Magog were prohibited, that outside Jerusalem there was that valley of death where children were slaughtered by pagans in early ages. And we see the Hebrew tradition shifting away from that cultural reality, that historic reality of human sacrifice. And so this, in some sense, is a marker laid down that human sacrifice is not what God requires, that God will provide some other methods. One Terry Yiddish folktale at the beginning of this piece has the following taking place. It asks the question, why in the binding of Isaac, why in the binding of Isaac didn't God send an angel? Why in the sacrifice of a of Isaac, why didn't God send an angel to talk to Abraham? Because God knew no angel would take on the job. Instead, the angel said, if you want to command death, do it yourself. There's an interesting turnaround that the angels themselves wouldn't even take upon themselves this horrific thing. Abraham is obedient. Isaac is obedient. There are two versions of Isaac traveling with Abraham. Imagine one version where Isaac really knows the score, knows what's going on, knows there is no sacrificial animal, probably reads what his father is up to, and yet stays with him, is obedient unto death. And there's the second version of this where Isaac is unknowing, but still faithful, eager to follow and fulfill the wishes of his father. Imagine the other side of this, once Isaac is unbound. Some commentators have looked upon it and said, what happened then? The Bible tells us Abraham returned to camp. The Bible suggests Abraham said both were to return. Was Abraham lying when he said that to his men who went with him? knowing that he would return alone, or did Abraham somehow think God really would provide and had that great faith? And did Abraham return with his son Isaac? Or did Isaac go down the other side of the mountain, saying, enough's enough? We know Isaac reappears, obviously. Isaac marries Rachel, and the story goes on. But interestingly enough, the next Portions of Genesis don't show Isaac and Abraham as, so to speak, hail fellows well met or a happy father and son situation. What would Isaac have thought of his father? What would the level of trust have been? Isaac perhaps was sure at this point that God does provide, that God will save his skin. What about Abraham? Does Abraham think the same about a God who brought him to the brink? Who was testing him? I've often contrasted Abraham and Sarah with Adam and Eve. The interesting thing is Adam and Eve were disobedient. 
Abraham was the obedient one. Abraham did what was required. And Abraham, in that sense, has God's favor. The word provide, which comes at the end of Genesis 22, 1 through 14, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The Hebrew word is ra'ah, which translates as provide, but can also be translated as the Hebrew word for seeing. Remember last week when we talked about Hagar and Ishmael? Hagar, who named the Lord the one who sees. Here, the Lord will see. On the mount of the Lord, it will be seen. The Lord witnesses, God witnesses, Abraham's obedience. It's an interesting connection with the earlier situation of Hagar and Ishmael. After all their travails, they come down the mountain, they take up their work again. I mentioned before that Isaac is bearing the firewood, carrying the firewood out of which the sacrificial fire will be made. A very similar analogy to Christ carrying the cross. So the analogies and images are all in there. It is left to us to make what we can of this story. You can see its depths. And the reason I'm talking, just giving you small images this morning of different ways of looking at this, is to not simply dismiss it as a barbaric tale, but look at it as something that we must look at, provide, the Lord will see. Look at it. See what's going on. Try to make some sense of it. Don't just dismiss it as, oh yeah, our faith will be tested. We must have great faith. We must believe in the Lord. The Lord will provide. That is the surface. There's more here, I believe. Another rabbinic commentary on this has the conversation between God and Abraham going this way when God first gives Abraham this proposition that he is to take and sacrifice his only son. God said, take your son. And Abraham said, I have two sons. God answered him, your only son. Abraham said to him, each is the only son of his mother. God said, the one whom you love. Abraham replied, Is there any limit to a father's love? God answered, Isaac. That's a great commentary. Abraham's efforts, not just clever, but profound, exploring what the world demands of us and how we must figure out our way through this world, trying to be faithful, trying to be loving, trying to be kind. And God asking so much of us that we don't really believe what he's asking. And in the end, in this rabbinic commentary, God being very specific. Because in the end, God demands one thing by one name directly. Others looking at this, as I've mentioned, see the barbarity. Richard Dawkins, who is a well-known atheist and puncturer of religion, points to it to show just how barbaric things are. But I wonder if Abraham had said no to God, I won't do it. Maybe been a little bit like Adam, disobeyed. I wonder how that Bible would have turned out. I wonder if it would have had less death, less sacrifice, more or less love. 
more or less of what it is that speaks to us, would it have been any different? That's the question I think Dawkins has a hard time answering. In every age, there are barbarities. In every age, there are barbarities. We'll shift the kaleidoscope once more and go to the 19th century to Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, theologian, who wrote a whole book on Abraham and Isaac and faith, and who I'm just mentioning here because he goes through so many permutations about what might be going on. I just suggest it to you as something that you might want to pick up and read on a slow day in the summer to show you how many people have wrestled with this. And to conclude, I'm going to a poem by Yehuda Amaikai, the true hero of the Akeda. The Akeda was the Jewish word for the binding of Isaac. That was that act of binding, not sacrifice of Isaac, but the binding of Isaac. So it comes down in the Jewish tradition as Akeda, the binding. And here is the poem. The true hero of the Akeda was the ram, who did not know about the pact among the others. It was as if he volunteered to die in place of Isaac. I want to sing for him a memorial song about the curly wool and the mortal eyes about the horns that stood silent on its living head after the slaughter they were made into shofars to sound the blast of their wars and to sound the blast of their base celebrations. I want to remember that final image like a pretty photograph in a fancy fashion magazine, the tanned, pampered youth in his finest of frocks, and by his side the angel dressed in a long silk gown as if for a festive reception, and the two of them, with desolate eyes looking out to two distant, desolate places. And behind them is a colorful background, the ram, entangled in the thicket before the slaughter, the thicket, his final friend, The angel departed homewards, Isaac departed homewards, and Abraham and God had parted ways a while back. But the true hero of the Akeda was the ram. Amen. Our hymn is God Who Stretched the Spangled Heavens.
Greetings, everyone. Welcome again to the Old First Church here in Bennington, Vermont, on this Sunday, which is designated for June 28, 2020. You're probably joining us by going to our website or perhaps by listening on a podcast. We prepare these services every week for these weeks going into the summer now. And Jean Marie Callahan is here with me here in the church. We also thank Nancy Andrews, who helps prepare the order of service every week and keeps the church in an operative condition. And we thank you all for your support and your presence and for being in touch and being in contact. As we prepare to take the offering again this week, I will remind you of a way that you can participate with real money, but a virtual offering by dropping something into the mail to the First Congregational Church, One Monument Circle, Old Bennington, Vermont, 05201, and it will be counted as part of the virtual offering this morning, and we thank you so much for that, very much you have our thanks and appreciation. The morning offering for the work of the church will now be received. Give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, be with us this day. Be with us as this month of June ends. As we look forward to a summer season, allow us to enjoy to see each other and make connections, to continue hospitality, to recall good times in the past and to look forward to futures that are full and happy. We recall at this hour those who are unwell, who need your healing, your help, 
your presence. Be with them. Be with those who are looking for work or those without a home or those changing jobs. Be with those who feel overburdened or confused, who are suffering. Be with those for whom things have not gone well, who do not know what direction to take. Be with those who walk along, who face difficult decisions, hard things. Be with those who are asked to sacrifice. Be with those who sacrifice and don't know what they sacrifice for, whether it is worth it. Be with those who make a sacrifice in hope that you will provide. Hear their prayer. Hear the prayers of all these. See us as we are, sometimes broken, sometimes not so well put together or happy as we might appear, sometimes anxious. Be with us, see us as we are. Allow us to to show our joy, to see each other as part of a great tapestry of good. Let us know we are part of that fabric. Let us know that what we do matters. Let us know that the smallest thing offered with love and caring counts for all. And so enable us to take joy and to sing and dance in the good days that surely summer will contain. Give us eyes to see them. Give us energy and friends with which to enjoy them. Be with us. Be with our country and the world as we face difficult things, hatred and violence, pride and arrogance. Allow us to step back from any altar. Allow us to step back and truly see what is going on. Help us when we cannot understand and help to guide us through difficult and treacherous waters. May we know Christ's peace. May we know Christ's presence. May we know Christ's healing in us, in our community, in our church, in our country, and in this world. This is our prayer, and now we make our own prayer to you in silence. Amen. 
And as Jesus taught us, we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn, and I should mention that we usually schedule this hymn on the last Sunday in June because we're usually having a church picnic outside the church. And we're usually saying thanks to the choir and to our organist and to our church school and to all the people who through the year make this church go. And it's a happy and good time. We don't have the choir with us today and we miss them. So shout out to you, choir members. We're thinking of you. And also when we sing this hymn, which was a favorite of one of our organists, Scott Smettinghoff, who is also no longer with us, and it's a shout-out to him, too, as well as a shout-out to God, who made and loves us all. So, when in our music, God is glorified. May God bless us and keep us. May God's face shine upon us and give us peace this day and evermore. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Have a good day today and look for the good in life as the week unfolds. Permission to podcast and stream the service music is granted under license number 3009679 from CCLI with all other creative rights reserved.